Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and we are going to be uh, doing a second set of our lessons here. We last week touched on this uh, concept of grief and how Christians can find really useful tools and uh, ways to um, deal with the grief that will inevitably come uh, just from living life and being human beings. We all will experience loss from time to time. So the second half of this is we're going to cover, again, uh, another uh, aspect of life that affects just about everybody, and that is um, anxiety and depression both. And how, uh, how do Christians cope with it specifically, and does the Bible inform us? at all of what we can do um, to equip ourselves uh, when these different times come. So the title of the lesson uh, today is going to be When Anxiety Knocks. And we're going to examine uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, specifically in the life of Elijah, and then uh, some other passages in James, 1 Peter, and Revelation as well, just to equip us and um, help us to inform ourselves of uh, what should we as Christians do uh, when we are inevitably um, overcome by um, varying degrees, of course, of depression and anxiety that will come our way just because of life circumstances and what happens. I'll give you a couple statistics, but depression impacts 10 to 25 percent of all women and 5 to 12 percent of all men at some point in their lifetime. Think about this. There are some successful people that were affected with this, and that's Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, even Mother Teresa all suffered from depression. Even spiritually sound people write about their uh, times of being depressed and anxious, and that's people like Martin Luther, John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon. They all suffered from varying degrees of anxiety and depression. So we need to be aware that um, you know biblical principles, friends and family, and the right medication can be very effective in helping someone who is depressed or struggles with anxiety. I want to share a, a, an anecdotal story with you um, that I had read recently, but it says, Years ago, a young lady described her professional counselor some of the troubles that she'd been experiencing. And she indicated that she was having trouble sleeping, she lost her appetite, she could not concentrate, and she cried for really no real reason and just didn't feel like doing anything. So it sounds a bit like you'll be struggling with depression, her counselor said. And she responded, oh no, I'm not depressed because Christians don't get depressed. When the counselor asked her how she came to that conclusion, she said her aunt had informed her that Christians do not struggle with depression. The counselor silently wondered if her aunt had ever read 1 Kings 19. And part of my goal with um, diving into the subject is to disarm and... Um, Try to move us from some trite things that Christians sometimes believe that, quite frankly, are not re reinforced in the Bible at all. Um, and I kind of side with this counselor a little bit and do wonder if some Christians have ever actually read the Bible. And I don't mean to be unkind, but the reality is um, some Christians just have not experienced um, dealing with varying degrees of depression and anxiety, especially severe cases that can come from time to time. So we mean well, Christians mean well, but sometimes we say uh, some silly things. So we're going to go into the Bible to help equip ourselves when we deal with it personally, and again, to walk alongside friends and family when they are struggling with these issues as well. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, 1 through 21. And the first section of this lesson, and there will be three, is that trials and difficulties can push us toward depression and anxiety. Any person, even a Christian, can experience depression and anxiety as he or she encounters the trials of life. Depression and anxiety are often intertwined. For example, when a child struggles with depression, he or she is 30 times more likely to struggle with an anxiety disorder. We can, we can see something about this relationship as we look at the example of Elijah provided in 1 Kings chapter 19. It appears that anxiety played a major role in Elijah's becoming depressed. Often depression is triggered by a threat. 
usually it has something to do with um, an outcome that we desired or that we are looking forward to that we become very anxious about or that didn't come to fruition and then that can lead us to be overly anxious about what will come it can also lead us to be severely depressed when what we expected didn't happen and that's what's happening here in the life of elijah he is being threatened his very life is being threatened and elijah experiences this threat by uh, up um, to his life by jezebel and you read about that in the opening part of the chapter in first kings chapter 19 1 and 2 and threats can come upon us in a number of different ways a threat can be a health problem the fear of losing our job or an actual physical threat as a result of conflict with someone else the threat elijah experienced was very real and Jezebel had murdered many of the prophets. Go back into 1 Kings chapter 18. You'll read about that in verse 13. But Jezebel had already um, achieved what she had set out to achieve, and now she's threatening the life of Elijah. So put yourself in the context of Elijah. Not only have you lost many of your friends and followers who have been murdered by this wicked uh, queen, now she's coming after your life. So even though Elijah was a godly man, and I don't think anybody would dispute that, Elijah panicked, and he engaged in some, be some behaviors that made his situation really even worse. He ran and left his servants behind. He isolates himself. He ran so much that he became exhausted. So now he's mentally and emotionally and spiritually exhausted, and now he's beginning, becoming physically exhausted. And you read about that in um, chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. And we do the same thing at times. We may run from one job to another or one relationship to another. We can isolate ourselves from others. And this is how anxiety can trigger depression because what happens is we begin to isolate ourselves from people. And now we feel as though we are completely on our own. And the more fatigued that people become, the more susceptible that we are to depression as well. And then finally, if you read verse 4, Elijah just flat out quit. So he's threatened with his life, he's running, he's physically exhausted, he gets to the end of himself and he just quits. He stopped ministering, he stopped doing what he was called to do. One might stop working or spending time with those that we love. And then next, Elijah dwelt upon how he had been mistreated. And you read about that in verse 10 and verse 14. So you see the progression where a real threat happens, he panics, he runs, he gets exhausted, he quits, and now all he is is sitting by himself dwelling on how he was mistreated. And although there was a time interval and some major events between verses 10 and 14, Elijah's thought process never changes. And those who struggle with anxiety or depression continue to dwell upon whatever it is that frightens or upsets them. It really is a downward spiral. And sometimes our thoughts aren't even correct. We begin to um, imagine things and how, they'll, how they will go in the worst possible scenario when the reality is um, those things may not even happen. Only the Lord knows these things. And then lastly, Elijah hides in a cave, verses 9 and 13. The worst thing that people can do, and this is one of the devil's tactics, is to get us to isolate ourselves and hide in a dark place when we're down emotionally. It was as if he quit going to church, pulled all the shades down, and dragged himself around the house. He was the picture of a man overcome with anxiety and depression. And this is a place when, and again, I, 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 um, I make a point to say that there is a varying degrees of this, but... All of us will find ourselves in some part of this spectrum from time to time. And I don't want to dwell so much on what Elijah was doing. I really want to key in now, what does God do to meet Elijah's need? So how did God deal with this depressed prophet? Rather than a lecture, God addressed Elijah's physical needs by having him get up and eat. You read about that in 1 Kings 19, 5 through 8. 
God comes to Elijah's point of need and he meets the physical need first. And I think that's important for us as Christians to realize that when we minister to people, we don't only minister to people on the spiritual plane because we minister to the whole person. And the whole person that God created is both body and spirit. Man is a living soul. So what we can do to minister to each other's physical needs will also have spiritual benefits as well and vice versa. God asked Elijah open-ended questions to get him thinking about his situation. It does very little good to try to be prescriptive to people or to try to um, diagnose them. It's much better to, to let them work through the, the, the issues that they're having on their own and ask them open-ended questions to come to the conclusion that they need to be brought to. And that is ultimately that God is faithful. So God is asking Elijah open-ended questions. He doesn't come in and accuse him. He doesn't say, Elijah, you shouldn't feel this way. You shouldn't be acting this way. You shouldn't be doing this. He asks him open-ended questions, essentially saying, Elijah, who am I? Who are you and who am I? And get Elijah to open up and to develop those things for himself. And eventually, God gently confronted Elijah and pointed out that his thoughts were not correct. The things that he was believing were going to happen, they just weren't accurate. The things that he believed about himself, they just weren't accurate because God had said otherwise in 1 Kings 19 and 18. And God then coaches Elijah on how to address the threat that triggered his depression. So now he's equipping Elijah for the future that when these things come about again, what can we do? What tools can we have in our backpacks? What can we um, do to equip ourselves to hopefully not end up in this same situation again? But the big takeaway from 1 Kings chapter 19 is that God did not quit on Elijah. And God does not quit on us. Christians fall into depression and Christians deal with anxiety. But that doesn't mean that God rejects us and God forsakes us. Quite frankly, God stooped down and he saved us when we were his enemies. So there's no reason that God would, there's no reason that God would quit on us now. So at this one, I just want to take a, a quick second and dig a little bit deeper um, into some of the, and I mentioned this ministering to the whole person, but some of the um, physiological components that come along with um, Christians and spirituality, as well as dealing with anxiety and depression. And again, I mentioned this earlier in the lesson that Christians mean well when we say certain things, but sometimes we, we say things that have just enough truth, but they are dangerously inaccurate. And some of the things that you might hear said are, well, if you were, uh, um, going back to my initial illustration, well, if you were filled with the Spirit or you had the joy of Jesus, or if you were living the Christian life to the fullest, you wouldn't have any of these issues. It's just, it's, it means well, but it just simply isn't true, and it, quite frankly, isn't really backed up by the, by the Word of God. There were many wonderful Christian people and um, children of God and uh, people that God used mightily throughout the narrative of the Bible that struggled. I mean, use David as an example. There were situations that David caused through his own sin that brought him to these points where any clinician would look at the Psalms and say anxiety and depression, but there are other situations that were completely external that were brought on David that caused him to be incredibly anxious and depressed as well, but the Lord never left him and the spirit of the Lord never left him. You could use Paul as an example as well. Paul, I'll, I'll mention this in a little bit, but Paul gives admonition to Timothy where Timothy is discouraged and he encourages him to do certain physiological things to help him overcome some of the anxiety and the depression that he's clearly dealing with as you read through the pastoral epistles. So remember that we are ministering to the whole person. I'm not an expert in the field by any stretch, but there are certain um, aspects of, of the brain and how it functions. You know, there are certain chemicals that the brain needs and a balance of those chemicals like serotonin, dopamine, adrenaline, and different things that when those things get out of balance, it can cause us to have, you know, real, real difficult issues. And some of those things need to be addressed by, um, you know, 
partnering with faithful people, Christian people, clinicians, therapists, counselors, and doctors as well to um, help us with some of the medicinal aspects of things. I mean, think about this, that um, there's an illustration I heard years ago, but it was something to the effect of a man's, you know, he's sinking in, a, in quicksand and someone comes by to help him and he says, no, I don't need the help. I've prayed and the Lord's going to deliver me. So the person moves on. Another person comes by and offers their help and the man says, no, I prayed and the Lord's going to deliver me. And the next person walks by and then another person walks by and says, hey, let me help you. And the guy says, no, I prayed and the Lord's going to deliver me. Well, eventually the man drowns in the quicksand. He ends up before the throne of God and God says, what are you doing here? And the man says, I prayed, Lord, why didn't you deliver me? And the Lord said, I sent three people your way to help you out of this you know, quicksand. And sometimes we, we think about the Christian life like, well, Lord, I prayed and this thing's just supposed to get better. And God says, well, I gave men and women the um, mental abilities to develop different medicines and therapies to help you with these things, but you never, you never took hold of them. Those things were gifts that I gave to you and I gave to humanity. So keep those things in mind as Christians as we're trying to help um, equip people to deal with some of these certain circumstances. So there is... Um, there's no avoiding the impact of the physiological component to both depression and anxiety. And notice that God addressed the physiological needs of Elijah before anything else. The first thing that God did with Elijah was to have him get up and eat. Remember, we read that in 1 Kings 19.5. Rather than to give him a lecture or even a sermon. So how are we to address physiological issues in those that we try to help or in ourselves if we struggle with these issues? Often we can help a friend by walking or exercising, and research has shown that there can be uh, a real um, increase in, say, serotonin levels by walking and exercising and just getting up and taking the next step. We can partner along, and we can even give encouraging words to use tools like medication to try to bring these things back into balance. Sometimes people feel like they lack faith if they take medication to address depression or anxiety. We may need to admonish them, as Paul did, Timothy, about the importance of the appropriate use of medications available. Remember what Paul's um, recommendation was to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. Taking medication should go hand in hand with prayer and Bible reading to, com to combat depression and anxiety. Remember, we're ministering to the whole person. Medication alone will not solve every issue that man has. Spiritually, we can't just prescribe prayer and scripture reading sometimes to solve the thing. It has to go hand in hand. Man is a whole person, a living soul, both body and spirit that God has created and he has joined together. So it's going to be a confluence of all of these things to help people come back to um, um, just kind of this right um, person of who they are and who God's created them to be. I'll give you another example. You know, Hezekiah prayed for his life to be extended in Isaiah 38 verses 1 through 3. And God granted Hezekiah's prayer, but we, we only usually ever focus on the part that God gave Hezekiah 15 more years of life. But we forget to read that he also used the medicine of the day as Hezekiah was commanded to put figs on the boil to recover in Isaiah 38, 21. So is that to say, well, God couldn't achieve this miracle completely of his own design? Certainly. But God chose to add, and, and he also records this in the scripture for us to read as well, that ultimately the great physician prescribed to Hezekiah what was going to be the thing that was going to extend his life. So it's good to keep these things in balance. And that's really what I want to encourage Christians is keep these things in balance. Medication and magical pills aren't going to solve everything. Just like telling somebody, well, if you want to be a real Christian and get out of this, you just got to pray and read the Bible more. It's a confluence of all those things. But most of all, it is communicating to people that God does not quit on us. God is for us and he will bring us through even in the deepest, darkest places of our lives. So what can we learn about anxiety and depression from this event in Elijah's life? 
Well, I think we can walk away that anyone can struggle with these things. Even a powerful prophet that's recorded for us, like Elijah, struggles with these. And that we can cry out to God for help and that there is always hope. We have to communicate this because these um, just sinister things like depression and anxiety can lead people to complete and utter hopelessness. Which can then, and we've seen it, uh, if you've lived long enough, you've seen it can lead people to do terrible things to themselves, even to suicide. So we always want to be communicating to people that there is hope, that God has not forsaken them. And then along with prayer and Bible reading, what other steps can be taken to help with anxiety and depression? Well, there's a couple things. Physiologically, proper rest and diet will have huge benefits. Sometimes we just need to to simplify our schedules and get some sleep, right? Um, Try to rest as much as we can. You you will um, you may find yourself in a place where you need to um, go to a, a physician and help them diagnose some of the issues that you might be dealing with. Exercise can have huge benefits to help us um, bring our uh, brain chemistry kind of back into um, back into balance. I found that personally in my own life to be extremely beneficial. Staying involved in church and with others, with your friends and family. Try not to isolate yourself. Talk with encouraging family and friends and spiritual mentors to help guide and direct as we go through all these things. So I hope this first part of the lesson has been helpful to you. Hopefully it has kind of debunked some myths, but also equipped you with some helpful tools. We're going to come back for the second part of the lesson. God can use trials and difficulties to help us grow. Welcome back to the second part of this lesson, When Anxiety Knocks. We're looking at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And we're going to dig into God can use trials and difficulties to help us grow. First part of the lesson, I want to take the time to deal with really what I would say are the 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 side effects of an issue, and that is depression and anxiety. But really, we and we saw that in the life of Elijah, God has to deal with what is causing these symptoms. I guess I really should put it that way. What is causing the symptoms? And what do we do about the thing that is causing the symptoms? So how does God use these trials and these difficulties to help us grow and become stronger in our faith? The truth is that everybody struggles with something. And sometimes people who struggle with depression or anxiety or any number of other problems wonder why God does not just take their problems away. You can go to the life of the Apostle Paul. He speaks specifically about a thorn in the flesh. Some begin to wonder if maybe we lack faith. We must remember that great Christian leaders from the past have struggled with problems and prayed that they would go away, only to learn that God was using these problems to help them grow. And I mentioned Paul earlier, but consider his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7-10. through 10. God used that problem to protect and develop him. Each of us will have some issues in our lives that continue to plague us that God will use to develop us. James told us that we would have trials in James chapter 1 and verse 2. However, he doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us the purpose. Why does God bring these trials into our life? James 3 and 4, chapter 1, 3 and 4 tells us that the purpose is to help us grow and mature in our faith. And though God did not promise to take all of our problems away, he did promise to give us wisdom that we need to deal with what we face in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. You see, we, God has given us the faith that we need to endure. But we'd only know, we only know the strength of that faith when trials and difficulties come our way. We realize um, that how God has engineered faith and how much pressure and weight that it can hold. And we find God to never be wanting. That what he has equipped us with will always bring us through. It doesn't always feel good. And many times we'll say things like, I wish God would just take this thing away because I want to feel better. But just because the nature of how we feel doesn't change the nature of who God is. That's really important for us to hang on to. And I'll, probably, I'll get to that a little bit later in the lesson. 
God did not instantaneously remove Elijah's depression and anxiety. It was a process. He required him to eat and drink, to get on a regimen in chapter 19, verse 5 and 8, and to engage in certain activities that would address his difficulties. And those are in verses 19 through 21 in 1 Kings. This is the wisdom that James described. And guess what? It worked. By the time we get to 1 Kings chapter 21, 17 through 24, Elijah is a completely changed man. He was no longer running from Jezebel and Ahab, and he was looking for them. He not only wasn't he running, he was looking for them. And he confronted Ahab about his sin. So, how can facing trials and difficulties help us grow? It produces endurance and helps us mature in our faith. We see God get us through. What we hope for is that when this same issue arises again, it won't cause the same negative effects as it did last time. And our faith is stronger now, and it can endure more. And when life continues, we will continue to be able to lean and trust in God and also have equipped ourselves with the tools that we need to try to avoid what happened the last time. How can knowing trials have a purpose change our attitude toward them? It can help us bear up underneath them and keep our focus wholly on God. My, my point in saying this again is that it doesn't mean that it's always going to feel good, that we're always going to feel like we're on the top of our game, but that our focus doesn't have to go immediately to the negative, that it can keep our focus on Christ and who he is. Even in the times when we just feel outright terrible, we have hope. We always have hope because our hope is in Christ. So we'll get to this last part of the lesson that God invites us to cast our cares on him. And hopefully we can develop that a little bit more here in a moment. All right, welcome back to the last part of our, our, our episode, When Anxiety Knocks. And we're looking at God invites us to cast our cares on him. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, 7, as well as Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. And it must have been difficult for Elijah as he headed back toward Ahab and Jezebel, but he obeyed the Lord and went back. He must have cast his anxiety upon the Lord and became focused upon the task at hand. God gave him many tasks that were not easily resolved. In fact, it would be many years before all the work would be completed. Elijah invested his life in Elisha, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 through 21. He had given himself a new purpose, and an important ministry began. Sometimes what, what we're lacking to dig us out of the hole that we're in is we feel like we have no purpose, and God provides for us a new purpose that we can put our eyes and focus on. And at some point, we too must cast our fears upon the Lord and become outwardly focused. It must have taken some time, but we find a different man in 1 Kings chapter 21. Instead of fleeing from Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah sought them out in 1 Kings chapter 21, which we mentioned earlier. And he confronts Ahab and pronounced judgment upon Jezebel. Elijah was no longer the struggling man of 1 Kings chapter 19. And I say that to tell us that we too can be helped. I'll say it again, and I've said it many times, and I'll keep saying it, is that we are not without hope. We too can be helped. All Christians will have trials. And some will experience difficulties that are more debilitating than others. And all of us can rejoice that we can cast those anxieties upon Christ and know that he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. You also see that reiterated in Matthew 6 and obviously Philippians 4 where Jesus humbled himself, became like us. We can also rest in the knowledge that one day all of this difficulty will pass away. And I think that's the big encouragement that I want to um, communicate uh, in this lesson is that even if difficulties continue, for instance, like Paul's thorn in the flesh, that there will come a day when, um, when all those things will pass away. And there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more hurt, because all of it will be um, removed by the finished work of Christ that we read about in Revelations 21 and verse 4. 
And interestingly, think about this. I I find this fascinating. What Elijah was most concerned about was his death at the hands of Jezebel. And of two people, other than Christ himself, in the scriptures that never died, we read about Enoch back in um, the the Pentateuch um, and what happened there. But then we look at the life of Elijah. He is the only other recorded person that never died. It's fascinating to me that God knew what Elijah's greatest fear was, the thing that he feared the most, the thing that he was most consumed with that put him into this total spiral, that in God's providence, he never allowed Elijah to experience the thing that he feared the most, and that was death at all, let alone at the hands of Jezebel. So let's dig a little bit deeper here. Think about Jonah, the prophet Jonah. Think about Elijah. Think about the prophet Jeremiah. All ask God to take their lives. That is when you have reached the bottom. When you ask God that I have no purpose, I have no function, I have no reason to exist, just take me. Jeremiah even wished that he had never been born. If men like this can get down, then anyone can. And all of us need to be better prepared to address the threat of suicide. What do we need to do with someone who makes suicidal threats or gestures? We need to be aware that people who talk about suicide are at great risk of committing suicide. Research has shown that when people begin to have these suicidal ideations and thoughts, that they are moving progressively very quickly to the place where they will try to act these things out. In the nature of the work that I've done with law enforcement, I found this to be time and time again the case of what happens um, when these suicidal thoughts begin. In other words, those who eventually take their lives have usually talked about it, and many have tried to do it in the past. So here's some advice that I would share um, that I want to equip you with. is: Should you ever encounter someone who is suicidal, it will be important to take him or her seriously and to get him or her to a medical professional, usually a hospital, as soon as possible so that they can have a complete evaluation and that licensed clinicians and therapists and counselors can come alongside them and help equip them to take the next step in the future. And again, when I say those things, I mean we minister to the person holistically. That doesn't negate the spiritual side of the whole issue, that that people who struggle with these things not only need doctors and counselors and therapists, they need pastors, they need friends, they need good, strong Christians to come alongside with them and pray with them. And the confluence of all those things will bring these people back out, just like we saw what happened with Elijah, that there's always hope. So when we say the statement, casting our cares upon God, what does it mean? What does it mean to cast our cares on God? I think it gives us a renewed focus that we give our cares to God and trust him instead of worrying about them, that we make a disciplined effort mentally to put our focus on God and his outcomes rather than continually dwelling on what might happen. And that's a very helpful thing to kind of take a step back slowly. It'll be a progressive process, and it doesn't mean that it's going to feel better immediately. It will take time, but helping us get a sense of focus helps our our hope to be in the right place. And then secondly, how can the promise of God help us to endure trials and difficulties here in this life? I think this, that they give us hope and they remind us that our trials are temporary. For the Christian, whatever you deal with, whatever comes your way, whatever you struggle with, whatever difficulties and um, uh, trials present themselves, that at the end of the day, they're temporary. That in Revelation 21 and verse 4 remind us that one day, There will be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, there will be no more hurt, that all those things will pass away. And we will realize the finished and complete work of what Jesus Christ began at the cross and the full glorification that will soon be revealed at the return of Christ. So I hope this has been encouraging. I hope this has been helpful. I hope that you have found um, 
some useful resources to not only help yourself, but to be able to more effectively minister to those you love and those you care about. So I pray that God will continue to bless you, and I hope you'll join us next time in the Calvary Couples podcast.